When Birth Control by Charles D. Proban, as read by Michael Wyatt. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books, many free Christian resources, as well as SWRB's complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts is on the web at www.swrb.com. This book, The Bible and Birth Control, is also available from Stillwater's Revival Books in soft cover format at a discount in our A to Z author listings. And please don't forget to look over the 62 CDs that make up our Reformation bookshelf and Puritan bookshelf CD sets. If you visit our website at swrb.com, as these CDs are a great way to build a major reform library at a fraction of the cost of the printed books. Now to our reading of the Bible and birth control, which we pray you find to be a great blessing and which we hope draws you near to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible and birth control is copyrighted 1989 by the author Charles D. Provan and is read to audio with his written permission. Elton, 1637, Commentary on Colossians 3, verse 5. Now the second sin here named is uncleanness. This sin also is an outward breach of the seventh commandment, and by it we are to understand every actual defilement of body against nature as that of incest with such as are within degrees forbidden and laid forth in Leviticus 18, verses 6 to 18, and of other defilements which are more against nature, as that which is committed with another kind, as with brute beast, expressly forbidden in Leviticus 18, verse 23, or that which is committed with that sex, which is not for that natural use spoken of in Romans 1, verses 26 and 27, and which was the sin of sodomy, or that which is most unnatural and was in part the sin of Onan, Genesis 38, verse 9. Now these defilements of the body are most foul and grievous sins in that they are not only against the law of God and against the very light of nature, they are commonly punishments of some horrible some other horrible sins and ever follow a very profane and dead heart Romans 1 verse 24 Joseph X Excel E X E L L 1849 to 1909 reformed commentary on Genesis 38 verses 8 to 10 Onan the sin of Onan It was a dishonor done to his own body. Here, Excel quotes the entire comments of Leal, L-E-A-L-E, and Hughes. John H. C. Fritz, Fritz, F-R-I-T-Z, 1874-1953, Lutheran, on marriage. Relation of Parents and Children Two things a pastor should impress upon married people. One, that God would bless their marriage with children. 
Two, that God holds parents responsible for the Christian training of their children. A husband and a wife should, according to God's will, become the father and the mother of children. One of God's purposes of marriage is the propagation of the human race. God says, Be quote and multiply and replenish the earth. Genesis 128, Psalm 127, and one, Psalm 128. The Fourth Commandment A Hebrew married woman considered it, considered it an affliction to be childless. 1 Samuel 1, verses 1 to 20. The Jews had large families, so did our German forefathers. The one, two, or three children family system is contrary to the scriptures. For man has no right arbitrarily or definitely to limit the number of his offspring, i.e. birth control, especially not if done with artificial or unnatural means. Genesis 1.28, Psalm 127, verses 3 to 6. Psalm 128, verses 3 to 4, and Genesis 38, verses 9 to 10. Such restrictions as uncontrollable circumstances, natural barrenness, or the ill health of wife or husband put upon the number of offsprings are the exception to the rule. Childbearing is both a natural and a healthful process while any interference with natural functions is injurious. Christian Gerber, 1660-1731, Lutheran, On Secret Unchastity, Section 3. But among the types of secret unchastity, one must properly include the impurity with which mean spirits dirty their bodies and wound their consciences, even when they are alone and do not even carnally join with someone else. St. Paul calls such people effeminate, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, who may lay hands on themselves and commit with their genitals such abhorrent things that one does not want to think about it, much less speak about it. And to the best of my memory, I have heard such stories about it that not only males do such things and maliciously, Indeed, abhorrently spill the seed, as Scripture speaks, Genesis 38, 8-10, but that even the feminine gender lets itself be led astray by the impure, infernal spirit to think of means whereby they can satisfy their impure desires and themselves still the raging passion. Forgive me, my reader, for writing this, I do not I do so most unwillingly but I am forced by the great need and the danger of so many souls oh it is with this horrible thing that the heathen have made themselves impure and perhaps do so still I have read of certain heathen philosophers that they have studiously withheld themselves from the use of women but on the contrary have committed with their hands impurity such as not even any beast does. Jacques Auris in Campo Jucunder, PM 569QU46N15, writes about Diogenes the Cynic, or Diogenes the Cynic, in this way. 
whence it must be gathered that Diogenes's depravity and illegitimacy reached such an extent that he frequently used his hand as a substitute for the feminine hymen for the sake of satiety. Wherefore, even the guilty Galenus, who had been most continent, then no longer wanted to serve this continence and became more of an infamous masturbator. But perhaps Galenus was just a fellow as Diogenes and thought that one was already chaste and decent if one only did not join with a woman, even though otherwise an improper thing is done with the private member. Section 4. These heathen atrocities are truthfully not rare among us now. One would not believe what some youths and even men do under cover and what kinds of shameful acts they pursue. It was about two or three years ago that the conscience of an unmarried man awoke and forced him to confess to two close friends that he had committed unchastity and impurity against himself, about which his soul was enduring an indescribable anxiety. Indeed, this man confessed that he had learned this wickedness at a famous school in a major city, which he had attended in his youth, where most of the pupils practiced the same devilish impurity with themselves. Oh, that it may be complained to God that Satan had made also such nurseries so horribly impure. Oh, that we had enough water and that our eyes were wells of tears in order sufficiently to lament such inhuman unchastity and atrocity. Those are the sins with which the heathen have made themselves impure. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one towards another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. Romans 1, verses 26 to 27. Because of these sins, God destroyed the inhabitants of Sodom with fire from heaven, and they are still burning to this hour in hellfire. Because of these sins, God also destroyed the Canaanites and put the children of Israel into the land in their place. So if one will pay it, will only pay attention to it, the well-known saying always applies, the vices of the seed are punished in the seed. In Leviticus 15, God commanded, if the seed goes out of a man in his sleep, he should wash his whole flesh with water and be unclean until the evening. So, if the holy God is displeased by the spilling of the seed which occurs outside of the legitimate cohabitation with the wife, as Osiander glosses this passage, how much more before his holy eyes will it be in an atrocity when such is done maliciously and intentionally? In summary, the atrocity is so great that it cannot be expressed. Section 5 But therefore, O youths and men, for the sake of the unique Son of Mary and his five holy wounds, let yourself be implored to guard yourself against making your bodies impure, as dear to you as your salvation is. Oh, 
but consider that nothing impure shall enter the kingdom of God. Then where would you want to remain? Although you are alone and no one sees or knows anything of your shameful acts, God still sees, whose eyes are, are brighter than the sun. The angels see it and depart from such impure spirits as you are. The devil sees it, and at the end of your life he will cite you, so to speak, before God and accuse you before, because of your shaming of your own bodies. Your conscience sees it and will in its time miserably torture you for it. Or have you then completely forgotten that in baptism you renounce the devil and all his impure works and have put on Christ? Do you not know that your body is to be the temple of the Holy Spirit? Oh, how many devils may be around you when you secretly commit such impurity. Once I saw a certain citizen, once I saw certain citizens together in one place drinking, they told one another such things with laughing mouths that they sometimes undertook with their wives and how they had also done otherwise, so that now I cannot judge that the devil himself at that time sat in their hearts and on their tongues. O oh, you impure heathen, why do you let yourself be called Christians? With what kind of conscience can you go to the Holy Supper? And do not and do you not shy away from receiving the most holy body and blood of Christ with your impure lips? Oh, woe to you to all eternity. Preachers do not like to talk about it from the pulpit and therefore seldom do so. But to the extent these abhorrent sins take the upper hand so that preachers truly need to rebuke the same more often with great earnestness and movingly to warn against them. Now what these old theologians have done stands free also for me and other faithful preachers to do, especially since many are not so pure from sodomitic atrocities. When in the year 1687 I came to speak with the deacon there in Toplitz in Bohemia, I met with the same rebuke. Did we not instruct our people all too little, so that the common man often did not know what was sin? Now since the adversaries rebuke us for such things, then I ask whether it is not necessary to warn the people against onatic and other mute sins, especially since the Holy Spirit himself does not pass over such sins in silence, but has them shown in the case of godless onan, Genesis 38.9 What else certain Christian wives have complained to me about how their husbands were accustomed to act with them I should not report here because of modesty. End quote. Johann Gerhard Lutheran 1582-1637 Commentary on Genesis 38 verses 7-10 to most Hebrew, Hebrew and Christian interpreters conclude that the sin of Ur was that of the same type as the sin of Onan, which they call effeminacy. Augustine, in Book 22, Against Faust, chapter, chapter 84, concluded that this heir had sinned in this offense severely, 
because that sin impedes conception and destroys the fetus in its own seed. God detests and punishes shameful acts. Shortness of life for the wicked is the punishment of sins. The sin of effeminacy and voluntary pouring out of the seed is contrary to nature. This in itself is compared by the Hebrews to homicide. Thomas argues that this is more serious than homicide. Augustine, in three, from 354 to 430, had this to say about Onan's sin. Quote, and why has Paul said, if he cannot control himself, let him marry? Surely to prevent incontinence from constraining him to adultery. If, then, he practices continence, neither let him marry nor beget children. However, if he does not control himself, let him enter into lawful wedlock, so that he may not beget children in disgrace, or avoid having offspring by a more degraded form of intercourse. There are some lawfully wedded couples who resort to this last, for intercourse, even with one's lawfully wedded spouse, can take place in an unlawful and shameful manner whenever the conception of offspring is avoided. Onan, the son of Judah, did this very thing, and the Lord slew him on that account. Therefore, the procreation of children is itself the primary, natural, legitimate purpose of marriage, Whence it follows that those who marry because of their inability to remain continent ought not to do so temper ought not to so temper their vice that they preclude the good of marriage, which is the procreation of children. John Gill, Nonconformist, sixteen ninety seven to seventeen seventy one commentary on Genesis 38 verses 9 to 10 and Onan knew that the seed should not be his should not be called a son of his but a son of his brother heir this is to be understood only of the firstborn all the rest of the children born afterwards were reckoned the children of the real parent of them this shows this was the custom in use in those times and well known and was not a peculiar case. And it came to pass when he went into unto his brother's wife to cohabit with her as man and wife, he having married her according to his father's direction, that he spilled it on the ground lest he should give his seed to his brother. Lest his brother's wife he had married should conceive by him and bear a son that should be called his brother's and inherit his estate. And this is the sin which from him is called Onania, or Onania, a sin condemned by the light of nature as well as by the word of God, and very prejudicial to mankind as well as displeasing to God as follows. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, being done out of envy to his brother and through want of affection to the memory of his name, and it may be out of covetousness to get his estate into his own hands, and especially as it frustrated the end of such a, a usage of marrying a brother's wife, which appears to be according to the will of God, since it afterwards became a known law of his, 
and it was the more displeasing as it was not only a check upon the multiplication of Abraham's seed as promised, but since the Messiah was to come from Judah. This was doing all to hinder it that lay in his power, wherefore he slew him also, in like manner as he had slain his brother. Joseph Hall, Anglican, 1574-1656 Commentary on Genesis 38 His brother Onan sees the judgment and yet follows his sins. Every little thing discourages us from good. Nothing can alter the heart that is set upon evil. Er was not worthy of any love, but though he were a miscreant, yet he was a brother. Seed should have been raised to him. Onan justly loses his life with his seed, which he would rather spill than lend to a wicked brother. What difference God puts betwixt sins of willfulness and infirmity? The son's pollution is punished with present death. The father's incest is pardoned and in a sort prosperous. Matthew Henry, Nonconformist, 1662-1714 Commentary on Genesis 1, verse, Genesis 38, verses 1-11 to Onan, though he consented to marry the widow, yet to the great abuse of his own body, of the wife that he had married, and of the memory of his brother that was gone, he refused to raise up seed unto his brother, as he was in duty bound. This was so much the worse because the Messiah was to descend from Judah. And had he not been guilty of this wickedness, he might have had the honor of being one of his ancestors. Note, these sins that dishonor the body and defile it are very displeasing to God and evidences of vile affections. George Hughes, Nonconformist, 1603-1667 Commentary on Genesis 38, verses 8-10 to The fact itself... And it was, he went in unto his brother's wife, that he spilled it on the earth. Herein note many evils. 1. Uncleanness. 2. Self-pollution. 3. Destruction of future seed, which God ordered to be produced. Lessons. Vain parents take little knowledge of God's judgments in the death of one child when they have others. 2. Special law for the marriage of the deceased brother's wife by the brother was given of God for special ends. 3. Seed was much desirable and is so in the church of God for which such laws were made. Verse 8. 4. Wicked creatures are selfish in duty, therefore unwilling to seek any good but their own. 5. Self-pollution destruction of the seed of man envy to brethren are Onan's horrid crimes verse 9 6 Onan may be Onan's may be in the visible church 7 such uncleanness is very grievous in God's sight 8 exemplarily death exemplarily death may be expected from God by such transgressors verse 10 Melanchthon Jacobus, Presbyterian, 
1816-1876 Commentary on Genesis 38 verses 6-7 This wife of Er was probably a Canaanite also, and he was smitten to death by God for his wickedness. Whereupon his brother Onan was commanded by his father to act the part of husband to the widow according to the custom of leveret marriage, afterwards legalized by Moses. In order that the family might not, might not die out and the covenant line perish, this was an important provision. Ruth 4 verse 10. Onan, however, proved false, and his crime of violating God's ordinance by a shameful abomination was also punished with death. Thus the covenant household seems degraded and disgraced, but the salvation lies not with them, but with God. William Jenkin, Nonconformist, 1612-1685, Commentary on Jude 7, Fornication, to mention, therefore, only the principal sorts of carnal uncleanness and such as we find, though with sacred modesty, set down in Scripture. This sin, if practiced with a man's own body, according to the opinion of some, is called malakia, M-A-L-A-K-I-A, and akatharsia, A-K-A, T-H-A-R-S-I-A Effeminateness and uncleanness for which God slew Onan Genesis 38.9 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 and Colossians 3.5 Nor is it impossible but that uncleanness may be between married couples when the use of the marriage bed is in a season prohibited or in a measure not moderated or in a manner not ordained or to the end not warranted. Franciscus Junius, Calvinist editor of the Belgic Confession, theological opponent of Jacob Arminius, 1545-1602, commentary on Genesis 38, verse 9. The most ugly impudence, which is not even easily named among the heathen, but was once practiced by the Gnostics, according to the testimony of Epiphanius. Two passages of Epiphanius of Salamis, circa 1315-402, on the Gnostic heretics, are as follows. But though they, quote, but though they copulate, they forbid procreation. Their eager pursuit of seduction is for enjoyment, not procreation, since the devil mocks people like these and makes fun of the creature fashioned by God. End quote. Quote, the Gnostics' wickedness, when it, whether they perform their filthy act with men or women, they still per- forbid insemination, thus doing away with the procreation God has given his creatures, as the Apostle says, receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meat, and so on. Romans 1, verse 27. Quote. For a passage by Epiphanius, which mentions the Gnostics and Onan together, see our listing of Richard Stock. Kyle and Delich, that's K-E-I-L and Delich, D-E-L, 
I-T-S-Z-C-H. Lutheran. Commentary on Genesis 38, verses 8 to 10. Judah then wished Onan, as the brother-in-law, to marry the childless widow of his deceased brother and raise up seed, i.e. a family, for him. But as he knew that the firstborn son would not be the founder of his own family, but would perpetuate the family of the deceased and receive his inheritance, he prevented conception when consummating the marriage by spilling the semen destroyed to the ground, i.e. let it fall upon the ground, so as not to give seed to his brother. This act not only betrayed a want of affection to his brother, combined with a despicable covetousness for his possession and inheritance, but was also a sin against the divine institution of marriage and its object, and was therefore punished by Jehovah with sudden death. Richard Kidder, Anglican, 1703. Commentary on Genesis 38. Should not be called his or should not be called by his name as the Chaldee renders it. Thus envy carries him to another great sin. Paul Kretzmann, Lutheran. 1883 to 1965. Commentary on Genesis 38, verse 9. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his, that a possible firstborn would not per- perpetuate his name and family, but that of his brother Ur. And it came to pass when he went into unto went in unto his brother's wife that he spilled it on the ground, lest that he should give seed to his brother. Rather than yield to the custom and be obedient to his father, Onan committed this crime against the divine institution of marriage and its purpose according to the will of God. Such works of the flesh, all too prevalent in our day, when children are no longer desired, are an abomination before the Lord. When the fear, where the fear of God still rules, such vices will not be tolerated. Theodore Lach or Latch, L-A-E-T-S-C-H, Lutheran, 1877-1962. Arguments against birth control. 1. It is sinful. A. It is willfully setting aside God's will and command. Genesis 1, 20, verse 28. 1 Timothy 5, verse 14. And... 1 Timothy 2.15 Genesis 38 verses 9 and 10 B. It is despising his promises and is depriving oneself of a blessing. Psalm 127 and 128 See text under section C. C. It is usurping for oneself an exclusive privilege of God that of giving or withholding children. Psalm 127, verse 3. Genesis 29, verses 31 to... Thir- uh, excuse me. Uh, Genesis 29, verse 31, through Genesis 30, verse 6. Genesis 30, verse 22, 
Genesis 33, verse 5, Genesis 16, verse 2, Genesis 20, verse 18, and then Leviticus 20, verses 20 to 21, Job 42, verses 12 to 13, Luke 1, verse 58, 1 Samuel 1, verses 10 and 11. D. Birth control by means of anti-conceptuals, coitus interruptus, etc., is ruthlessly interfering with God's method of creating a living being. Hufland, H-U-F-E-L-A-N-D, one of the most noted physicians of Germany, 1762 to 1836, says, quote, The first question undoubtedly is, when does life begin? There can be no doubt that the act of copulation is to be regarded as the beginning of the existence of the future being and that the very first, even though invisible, germ of this being has the same claim upon the care and protection of the physician as the later fully developed man. A human being is not murdered in its incipiency. I am not going to answer sophistic, even Jesuit, Cavills, I appeal to sane reason and to the pure, unspoiled moral feeling of every man. The product presupposes producing, and if it is wrong to kill the product, then it goes without saying that it is wrong to render futile the act whereby it is being produced. For whereby one actually kills that which is in the process of being produced, das wernd Wordendy, that's D-A-S-W-E-R-D-E-N-D-E, in its first beginning, end quote. Quoted in De, De Valente, Di E-H-E, B-I-B-L-I-S-C-H, und Erschlich, Butech, it's B-I-B-L-I-S-C-H-U-N-D-A-E-R-Z-T-L-I-C-H-B-E-L-E-U-C-H-T-E-T, page 65 and following. This is undoubtedly the scriptural view. Compare Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, Job 10, verses 8 to 11, especially verse 10 the act of copulation described. Section E. Marriage degenerates from a holy estate to mere gratification of carnal lust. Hebrews 13, verse 4, and 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 4. 2. It undermines the state. It is a race suicide. Even the two-children system will rapidly lead to exterminate of a people for 10% of all marriages are naturally childless and unmarried people do not contribute to the growth of a nation while the two children system replaces only the parents no replacements for unmarried people and childless couples hence a decrease in population and the nation will die out at least four children to a family to prevent this dying dying out five children to bring about an increase in population. Three, it undermines the home. Parents become selfish, incompatible. 
Children idolized, pampered, egotistic, self-important, undesirable citizens in many instances. A Supreme Court justice is quoted as saying, quote, It is my conclusion that childless homes are responsible for the almost complete absence of real home life. I cannot help but reach the conclusion that if our children... If our women had children, there would be more happiness and fewer divorces. Presence of children attracts the husband to his home and keeps the mothers from the gossiping neighbors and bridge parties. Absence of children promotes discord. Their presence makes for harmony. End quote. Johann Peter Lang, Reformed, 1802-1884 Commentary on Genesis 38, verses 8 to 10. Onan's sin, a deadly wickedness, an example to be held in abhorrence as condemnatory, not only of secret sins of self-pollution, but also of all similar offenses in sexual relations, and even in marriage itself. Unchastity in general is a homicidal waste of the generative powers, a demonic bestiality, an outrage to ancestors, to posterity, and to one's own life. It is a crime against the image of God and a degradation below the animal. Onan's offense, moreover, as committed in marriage, was a most unnatural wickedness and a grievous wrong. The sin named after him is destructive as a pestilence that walketh in darkness, destroying directly the body and soul of the young. But common fornication is likewise an unnatural violation of the person, a murder of two souls, and a desecration of the body as the temple of God. There are those in our Christian communities who are exceedingly gross in this respect. A proof of the most effective development of what may be called the consciousness of personality and of personal dignity. Here, Lane quotes Schroeder, who is in our listing, followed by the next quotation. Schwenke, uh, the sin of Onan, unnatural, destructive of God's holy ordinance, is even yet so displeasing to the Lord that it gives birth to bodily and spiritual death. Thomas Leal, Evangelical, circa 1877. Commentary on Genesis 38, verses 8 to 10. The Sin of Onan, verses 8 to 10. 1. It was promoted by a low motive. It was as selfish as it was vile. Onan's design was to preserve the whole inheritance for his own house. 2. It was an act of willful disobedience to God's ordinance. Quote, Ill-deserving of others can be no excuse for our injustice, for our uncharitableness. That which Tamar required, Moses afterward, as from God commanded, the succession of brothers into the barren bed. Some laws God spake to his church long ere he wrote them. While the author is certainly known, the voice and finger of God are worthy of equal respect. End quote. Bishop Hall. 3. It was a dishonor done to his own body. This comment is followed by a quotation from Lang, which appears in our list. 4. It was aggravated by his position in the covenant family. 
the Messiah was to descend from the stock of Judah, and for aught he knew from himself. This very Tamar is counted in the genealogy of Christ, Matthew 1, verse 3. Herein he did despite to the covenant promise. He rejected an honorable destiny. Herbert Carl Leopold, Leopold, Lutheran, 1892-1972 Commentary on Genesis 38, verses 8-10 to The custom of leveret marriage seems to have prevailed quite universally at the time, as it is known to have been customary among many nations, ancient and modern. Judah does not appear as an innovator in this instance. Leveret marriage implied that if a man had died without leaving a son, the next brother of the deceased, if unmarried, would take the widow to wife with the understanding that the first son born would carry on the line of the deceased, but all other children would be accounted his own. The Mosaic Code refers to the custom in Deuteronomy 25 and 5, verse 5 and following and made what had previously been a custom among such as the Israelites a divine ordinance. See a further reference in Matthew 22, verse 24. The root Yabam, that's Y-A-B-A-M, means brother-in-law. The Pial, P-I-E-L, of the derivative verb could then be translated marry her as brother-in-law the ultimate purpose, of course, being to raise up offspring. Hebrew, seed to the brother. Onan knew that of this provision and intentionally prevented its realization. Selfishness may have prompted him. He did not care to preserve his brother's family. Greed may have been a concurrent motive. He desired to prevent the division of the patrimony into smaller units. But in addition to these two faults, there was palpably involved the sin of a complete perversion of the purpose of marriage, that that divine institution. What he did is described as taking preventative measures. The original says he destroyed, i.e. the semen, to the ground. From him, the extreme sexual perversion called onanism has its name. The case is revolting enough, but plain speech in this case serves as a healthy warning. Martin Luther, Lutheran, 1483 to 1546. Commentary on Genesis 38, verses 8 to 10. The exceedingly foul deed of Onan, the basis of wretches, follows. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So, when he went into his brother's wife, he spilled the semen on the ground, lest he should give offspring to his brother. And what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord, and he slew him. Onan must have been a malicious and incorrigible scoundrel. This is a most disgraceful sin. It is far more atrocious than incest and adultery. We call it unchastity, yes, a sodomatic sin. For Onan goes into her, that is, he lies with her and copulates, and when it comes to the point of insemination, spills the semen, lest the woman conceive. 
Surely, at such a time, the order of nature established by God in procreation should be followed. Accordingly, it was a most disgraceful crime to produce semen and excite the woman, and to frustrate her at the very moment. At that very moment, he was inflamed with the basest spite and hatred. Therefore, he did not allow himself to be compelled to bear that intolerable slavery. Consequently, he deserved to be killed by God. He committed an evil deed. Therefore, God punished him. That worthless fellow refused to exercise love. He preferred polluting himself with a most disgraceful sin to raising up offspring for his brother. Therefore, Onan, unwilling to perform this obligation, spilled his seed. That was a sin far greater than adultery or incest, and it provoked God to such fierce wrath that he destroyed him immediately. Walter Arthur Mayer, M-A-I-E-R, Lutheran. 1893-1950 The Blight of Birth Control Its Anti-Scriptural Base Bias To pass over other objections to birth control objections so weighty that these sections of the Federal Penal Code make it a criminal offense punishable by five years in jail or a fine of $5,000 or both to send through the mails or through other common carriers quote any article, drug, or medicine, or any obscene, lewd, or lascivious publication intended for preventing conception, end quote. We come to the basic objection, which, if all other arg- arg- argumentation were swept aside, would be a complete denunciation. We refer to the evident indictment of birth control contained in the statements of Scripture. The majority report of the Committee on Birth Control, appointed by the Federal Council of the Churches of Christ in America, states that the Church and the Bible are silent upon the subject. This is a bold statement. When the first human parent pair was created, the divine command enjoined, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Genesis 1.28 after the deluge, when the world was to take its second start, the blessing of Noah, for Noah and his sons again required them to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. In Psalm 127, verse 3, we read, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. The picture of the ideal home is described in Psalm 128, verse 3. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children are like olive plants round about thy table. In Proverbs 31, verse 28, children are mentioned as part of the virtuous woman's household. If it be objected that these are Old Testament passages, attention is called to these utterances of the New Testament. 1 Timothy 5, verse 10 where it is stated that those aged widows who brought up children received support from the church, 1 Timothy 5.14, where the apostle directs the younger women, the widows, to marry and bear children, 1 Corinthians 7.14, which illustrates God's gracious interest in his children's children, and particularly Mark 10, 
verse 14, where the Savior of the race utters his memorable, Suffer the little children to come unto me. In spite of extended arguments, not a single passage can be adduced from Scripture which even in any remote way condones birth control, and no one acquainted with the Scripture should hesitate to admit that it is a definite departure from the requirements of Scripture. See Genesis 38, verses 9 to 10. Cotton Mather, Calvinist, 1663 to 1728. The Pure Nazarite. It is time for me to tell you that the crime against which I warn you is that self-pollution, which from the name of the only person that stands forever stigmatized for it in our Holy Bible bears the name of Onanism. John Mayer, M-A-Y-E-R, Anglican, 1583-1664. Commentary on Genesis 38, verses 8-10. to For the sin of Onan, it was most detestable. One, because it was unnatural to spill the seed given to him for generation. Two, because he did great wrong thus unto Tamar, hindering her that she could not be the mother of children. Three, he did as much as in him mar the seminary of the generation of man, that he should have no further increase. Four, He was envious in the highest degree against his dead brother, rather than he would raise up seed unto him. He preferred to go himself seedless. Lastly, it was also aggravated in that heir, being made an example for his wickedness before him, he would not yet take warning thereby, wherefore he was most justly by some remarkable judgment soon taken away also. Jean Mercier, M-E-R-C-I-E-R, Huguenot, teacher of Ursinius, 1500-1562. Commentary on Genesis 38. But since Onan realized that the seed would not be his own, or the descendants which he would beget from her, it came to pass, that is to say, when he went into his brother's wife to pollute, so to speak, himself or the seed poured out onto the ground which means not to provide seed that is in order not to raise a progeny for his brother in what manner that came to pass it seems difficult to comprehend and to express because it is obscene but it is easily imagined for in that union when it came to the point of ejaculation of the seed that seed was not ejaculated into its proper place that is the wife's womb but is poured forth onto the earth, the result being that both she herself and the deceased brother were defrauded of progeny. The sin was utterly contrary to nature and all respectability, and and it was foreign to the goal of marriage. Therefore, it was justly punished by God. Whence the Jews say that the man who pours out seed rashly is equal to the one who is guilty of homicide. James Murphy, Reformed, 1808-1896, Commentary on Genesis 38, verses 7-8, Was evil in the eyes of the Lord. The God of covenant is obliged to cut off air for his wickedness in the prime of life. 
we are not a we are not made acquainted with his crime but it could scarcely be more vile and unnatural than that for which his brother Onan is also visited with death and be a husband to her the original word word means to act as a husband to the widow of the deceased brother who has left no issue Onan seems to have been prompted to commit his crime by a low motive of turning the whole inheritance to his own house Wolfgang Musculus M-U-S-C-U-L-U-S Lutheran 1497 to 1563 commentary on Genesis 38 verses 9 to 10 it says three things the deed of Onan the reason for the deed and the divine punishment the deed was like this quote and it happened that when he went into his brother's wife he spoiled it on the ground end quote his seed that is from which Tamar was supposed to conceive he poured not into her womb but with outstanding malice onto the ground the reason for the deed is stated in what is said Onan knowing that it would not be his own offspring therefore he disdained to help his brother and for that reason he denied him his own seed in this we see the nature of unbelieving man what was about to come to his brother he did not refuse so as to help himself but instead he preferred to uselessly waste it rather than give it to his brother neither for my brother he says nor for a buzzard okay unsure milieu m-i-l-u equals milus m-i-l-u-u-s k-i-t-e but anyway he was about to help also himself if first he helped his brother for the firstborn had certain claims regarding a brother which others do not the divine punishment is thus reported and what he did was displeasing in the eyes of the Lord and so he killed him so the deed of Onan was cause for death for he was sinning first against God himself who whose primary commandment he violated also he sinned against human nature spilling seed from which she could have conceived and born children third against Israel and the people of God from which he detracted and whose reproduction promised by God he ought to have multiplied fourth against his father whose will and right he had defied for he had been going into his own brother's wife and relieving his lust but real offspring he held back from raising up for his brother which is the one thing his father was asking fifth he sinned against his brother also whose name and posterity in Israel although he was able he refused to save therefore it is not beyond reason that what he did was so thoroughly condemned even to the point that it was displeasing in the eyes of God so that he killed him let all those be absolutely terrified by this example who thus relieve their lust so that by no means neither for themselves nor for others especially not for anyone other than themselves do they desire to bring forth offspring those who practice forbidden lust are most like the evildoer Onan for they want nothing less than children this type of person couples 
in various and unspeakable ways so as not to get the woman pregnant. And if she should get pregnant, somehow the fetus in her, either in the womb or at birth, is killed. Woe, woe on these lewd women. Woe, I say, on the prostitutes of the sodomites, among whom no one is expected to be procreated. And what they do most wickedly is displeasing in the eyes of the Lord. To Eunice Oldenberger, Calvinist, 1934. Birth control for saints and sinners. There is no other exegesis of Scripture possible but to place contraception in the same category with prostitution, free love, homosexuality, coitus interruptus, coitus reservatus, coitus saxonus, and all other forms of unnatural coition that are indulged in simply for the purpose of play, against which both the laws of the land and those of the church have with varying severity been enforced, beginning with Onan in chapter 38 of Genesis and extending to our own day among all civilized countries. Birth control is cursed of God as a sex crime, and in one and in the one case of which we have record in Genesis 38, was punished with death. Johannes Oliarus, O-L-E-A-R-I-U-S, Lutheran, 1611-1684. Commentary on Genesis 38.9. But since Onan knew that the seed would not be his own if he lay with his brother's wife, he let it fall to the ground and perished, so that he would not give seed to his brother. This cursed, abhorrent sin, which was an atrocity against nature and against the Lord, as against the Most High, Isaiah 6, who cannot tolerate even unintentional impurity, Leviticus 15.16, happened secretly and was punished publicly. What Cain did to his brother, Genesis 4, that this murderous abuser of nature did as much as he could and it was no better therefore it displeased the Lord just as David's adultery and murder 2 Samuel 11 verse 27 this wickedness deserves the wages of sin Romans 6 and early death the atrocity of Moloch Leviticus 20 verse 2 is to be considered in this context this matter, together with all silent sins, is not improperly compared to that situation. Lucas Osiander, the Elder, Lutheran, 1534-1604 Commentary on Genesis 38.10 What he did, which was an abhorrent thing and worse than adultery. For such an evil deed strives against nature, and those who do it will not possess the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9-10 to And the holier marriage is, the less will those remain unpunished who live in it in a wicked and unfitting way, so that, in addition to it, they practice their private acts of villainy. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. 
It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.